If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, verses 22 and 23. 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. To preface that just a little bit to help you understand what we're reading, Saul has been commissioned to, by God to utterly destroy the Amalekites. For whatever reason, Saul does not do that. Whenever Samuel confronts him and asks him why, he says because the people wanted to keep the very best and give to God. And here's Samuel's reply. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bible already open to that reading, I hope you'll just keep it there. We're going to spend some time in 1 Samuel chapter 15 in our, in our time together this morning. If you're visiting here, we're glad that you're with us. Uh, and, and we're going to kind of finish up maybe a series of lessons that we've been involved in. We've spent some time asking some questions about God and some of His attributes and then looking into the mirror, into our lives to see if we're living uh, the way that He wants us to live. And I'll begin this morning by taking you back to my childhood. I'm fairly well convinced that my dad probably hated taking me to McDonald's when I was a young kid because if you remember years ago when you'd walk into a fast food restaurant, there were sandwiches just already made, stacked up, ready to be handed out. And one of those was the filet of fish And there was a problem in my life at that point. I hated tartar sauce. And I really did not like cheese on my fish sandwich. And so when my dad had to go to counter and order me a meal. He had to go up and order a plain filet of fish sandwich. And you remember back in the early days what that meant. There were all those that were there ready to eat, but they had to go in the back and they had to cook a new piece of fish and make a new sandwich. And so it always took forever. We, we took the fast right out of fast food because I needed a plain sandwich. Well, Burger King came along and they had a great idea. And you remember their slogan because their slogan was, well, why don't we think about the customer and why don't we allow the customer to have it their way? And so when the, you walked into Burger King, they invited you to order your sandwich any way you wanted it. And that became a very big thing for them. And my question as we dive into this last lesson in this series this morning is, you know, what happens in our lives, what happens in our walk with God when we show up with a Burger King sort of mindset? In other words, I look at God and I look at the church and I look at my relationship with Him and I start thinking in terms of, you know, what if I could just have it my way? Is that going to work with God? And let me start this way also. All of us have a bit of a my way sort of mentality within us. We all are going to fight with this at times. Uh, young people, uh, we, we see that at times. One of my preaching buddies up in the Northwest, they, uh, Sunday morning worship was going on, and they have a scripture reading much like we do. Uh, a young man, they usually use their teenagers to read. This young man got up to read scripture that morning, and he was in a kilt. Now, he wasn't immodest. 
He wasn't indecent. He was reading from the Bible just like he was supposed to do. The problem was he wasn't in Scotland. And so when he got up to read Scripture in a kilt, nobody was thinking about the Scripture because everybody was thinking about this guy's kilt. And so when they were talking with this young man, trying to coach him up a little bit later on, one of the comments that was made was, you know, it's not about who you are, it's about whose you are. And so we get that with young people. And then sometimes some of us who are more middle-aged, maybe we're still raising our children, we still got our children close by at home, you know, sometimes we kind of have a consumer mindset a bit with, with looking at church life. In other words, I even heard a guy talking about this kind of thing uh, even this morning uh, on, a, on a podcast, and he said sometimes there's an entitlement sort of mentality where I'm looking at the church in terms of, okay, what do I have an expectation of this church doing for me? And that's a bit of a my way sort of mentality. And then even for folks who are a little bit older, you know, sometimes there's a fear of doing things differently, not because, you know, the, the, the thing that we're looking at, it might be something that will bless the church, that will help the church grow, but it's different, it's not the way we've always done it. And so there's a fear there. The my way sort of mentality comes out in, man, I, I, I don't know about that because that might lead us somewhere where we don't want to go. And sometimes there's legitimacy there because we've seen things go wrong in places. All I'm trying to say is when we study King Saul, it doesn't matter whether you're young, it doesn't matter whether you're middle-aged, it doesn't matter whether we're older. All of us are going to battle this mindset at times, and so all of us should get something from the study of King Saul. Now, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and walk through some of these verses. As was mentioned a minute ago, God has made the decision that He's going to take out the Amalekites. And God says, uh, this is going on. If you notice verse 2 of 1 Samuel 15, they were the first to oppose Israel after the Exodus. Uh, They were known as people who prayed on the weak. And so God has promised to stamp them out. Verse 2 says, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go, and here's the command, now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both men and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Does that sound harsh? I think that sounds, you know, in our way of looking at this in 2015, that sounds harsh. But let me ask you this. While it may sound harsh, would you say that the command is unclear? Because sometimes we have problems at work. You know, there's not clarity. There's a, uh, something we're supposed to do, but we're not really sure what we're supposed to do. God is not unclear in verse 3. He's very clear. If it breathes and it's a part of them, it dies. Man, woman, infant, child, any kind of animal. And so Saul summons the army, and then you get down to verse 7, and you kind of see what's going on here. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. King Agag is alive. You need to remember that. Verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, 
and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. If it doesn't look valuable, we'll destroy it. Looks like we could get some use out of it. We're going to keep that around. And so that's a problem because that is not... Verse 3 is very clear, but they have not done verse 3. And so then you get to verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. And God says this, I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. It's interesting here. Samuel is, he's tore up. He's, he's not even sleeping. He's in prayer all night over a mistake that's not actually his mistake. The mistake is Saul's and, and Samuel's upset about that. And so then Samuel rises early the next morning and he goes to find Saul and Saul's not around Saul's probably out on a victory tour. Uh, Often if you captured a king, you might take him on a victory tour as a trophy that you've won. And so uh, the Bible says Saul has has come up to Carmel and, uh, and so he's not there. So finally in verse 13, Samuel finds Saul. And this is what Saul says. He sees Samuel coming and he says, Blessed are you of the Lord. I've carried out the command of the Lord. In other words, I've done what God asked me to do. And Samuel says this, and you've heard this scripture over and over and over, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? If you ever want to study leadership, study this guy Saul and then do the opposite of what he does because he is a horrible leader. Notice what he does. He throws all the people that he's leading under the bus. He says, they, the people that I'm king over, the people that I'm supposed to be leading, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest, and then he brings himself back in, the rest we have utterly destroyed. Horrible leadership. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait. And let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. Samuel said, is it not true? Though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel. In other words, Saul is being reminded by Samuel here that that God is the one who set you up. God is the one who made you king. You are a king because of what God did in your life. And there's value there for us. Anytime I'm looking at what God wants from me and I'm debating over whether what I'm thinking about is what God would really want in my life, I need to remember that the only reason that I have an opportunity to be in heaven one day is because of what God has done to make that available. And so Saul is reminded by Samuel, you are king only because God has put you there. And then in verse 18 he says, And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are, and the New American Standard uses a strong term, until they are exterminated. You ever do any exterminating at home? It's never of people. It's always of bugs and creatures and things that that we need out of our way. And he says, "You, You were supposed to exterminate them. And then he asks the question in verse 19, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Now from Saul, we're going to see denial. I don't know if he's not listening. I don't know if he's overwhelmed by the moment. 
He may just be in denial. But notice Saul's response in verse 20. Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. God says, kill everyone. He says, I went and I brought back the king and I did obey. And then he throws the people back under the bus. But the people took some of the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. In other words, God, You told us what You wanted to do. You gave us a command. You were very clear in that. You told us what You wanted. But see, the people, they, we, we changed Your plan a little bit. But God, we did it for You. We did it so that we could worship You. And that's when you get to the reading that was shared just a moment ago. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, He's rejected you from being king. And yes, Saul repents in the next verse, but it has cost him the kingdom. And so what do you see from him? You see him defecting, deflecting blame. You see him justifying his actions or attempting to. You see him attempting to minimize the seriousness of ignoring what God said God wanted. And in the end, he says, God, we changed the plan. But God, we changed your plan in order to honor you. When I look at what God wants and I decide I'm going to do things in a different way, the question that's really got to come home as I go to the mirror is, who am I really trying to please? And we don't have an, we, we're not inside Saul's head. We don't know exactly what he's thinking at this point. Somebody much smarter than me once said this, and it, it, it stuck with me. This person said, if God is pleased when I do what He wants... How would it be more pleasing to Him if I alter or change or take away from whatever it is that He's asked of me, especially in light of everything that we understand about God from the Old Testament, everything we understand about how God says, it's better to obey me than to make up some worship to me. And if I know that changing something is not going to be more pleasing to God, then who am I really trying to please? And see, it's almost a rhetorical question because when you think about it that way, in the end, I'm probably trying to please myself. And God says that won't work. And see, that a question, it applies whether we're talking about the way we worship whether we're talking about the way the church is organized and led. You know, we've got questions sometimes about women's role in the church and did, did, did Paul's command, is it, is it cultural? Well, no, it's, he ties it to history and so uh, we talk about the plan of salvation. We, whatever the biblical issue is, from the heart, is my goal to please God or is my goal to have things my own way? 
As we finish up this morning, I want us to think about the idea that if I'm in this mode of my way sort of thinking, it's doomed to fail. And from Scripture, I want us to notice several reasons why a my way sort of mentality just will not work. Number one, my way living, it arrives at a bad destination. You remember Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, where the Bible says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And so that proverb, it says a lot. That seems right. That seems right to me. So I'm going to go that route because in my mind, that seems okay. There ought to be a reminder from that that I cannot rely on my feelings. I can't rely on looking around at what everybody else is doing and assuming that because everybody else is doing that, it seems like it must be okay. Uh, Seems right does not necessarily equal right. But even so, how many times when something's being discussed, do you see somebody make their case by beginning their statement with, well, I just feel, and then they say whatever they're going to say. Number two, my way thinking can never elevate me high enough. And we talk about Isaiah 55 from time to time where, uh, from the, the, through the prophet, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, the reason we must know what God wants is because we're not th- capable of thinking on His level. If we could think on His level, we really wouldn't need Him. And even so, we read this and then something comes up and and the discussion is, well, surely God won't mind. I can't see how God wouldn't be pleased if we, and whatever it might be. It's just this reminder that if if God has mandated it, there there may have been some people here in 1 Samuel 15 where, where that command did seem kind of harsh to them and they didn't understand why that was important. They didn't understand why God wanted that. But see, in the end, what God wanted them to do was to carry out what He said to carry out in verse 3. So I don't have to agree with God. I don't have to completely understand why God has, has asked something of me. Hopefully over time as I grow in Him, I may come to understand years down the road why there was something I began practicing years ago. I didn't understand it at the time. I just knew God said it. And then as I grow later on, I understand why God's way was best. At some level, I've got to learn to trust God. I've got to learn to trust the idea that whatever it is that He's placed before me is what's best for me because He loves me. And my love to Him is going to be demonstrated in the idea that I'm going to try to surrender myself to Him. I'm going to try to obey. I'm going to try to follow even when I don't agree and even when I don't understand. Third, my way attitudes destroy the effectiveness and the unity of the church. God's desire for His family, it's it's love and it's unity. You remember John 13, verse 35, Jesus says, "By By this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And if that statement's true, then the converse has to be true also. In other words, if people don't see love, then they're going to know we're not His disciples. And one of the problems with the my way sort of problem, in 1 Samuel 15, it's big. It's the king, the leader, the guy who's supposed to lead the people to where they need to be. But in any church family, one person that has the my way attitude, the my way problem, can do major harm. 
We're not going to go over and read it, but you remember 3 John, there's a guy named Diotrephes, and he gets his name up in lights in Scripture as the guy who wants it all his own way. And Paul says that, or John says that's not going to work as he writes there. John ends up calling it living evilly in an evil way. Thankfully, when we ask the question, do people see love when they look into this church family? I think they do. I think this is a family that loves each other. And I think you've got to talk about it from time to time because you never want to take for granted something that's so very, very important. You never want that to slip. Finally, number four, when we think about my way thinking and why it just won't work, Jesus says in John chapter 14 that there's only one way. There in John chapter 14, He's talking about this place that He's going, and He's talking about this place that He's preparing, and He talks to His inner circle, His disciples there, about how you know the way. And Thomas asks a question in verse 5. He says, Lord, we don't know where You're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus responds by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. If He is the way, I really don't need to be worried about having my own way. I need to follow His way. And so the solution becomes, if we're going to think about well, what's, what's next for us, the, the solution is I need to develop and maintain this passion for walking in what Jeremiah calls the good way. And sometimes you hear this verse, and I want to share it from the New Century because maybe it's a a bit of a different way of reading it or hearing it. But Jeremiah 6, verse 16, this is what the Lord says, Stand where the roads cross and look. In other words, we're going to come to these points where we have to make decisions about which direction we're going to go. Stand where the roads cross and look. Ask where the old way is, where the good way is, and walk on it. If you do, you'll find rest for yourselves. But they have said, the people of Jeremiah's day will not walk in the good way. He says there's a two-part formula. I ask for it, I look for it, I try to find it, and then I make the decision to actually walk in it. See, the idea is, I need to obey God, but I want to try to develop a passion within myself for wanting things God's way, for having a heart that says, I want to do right. See, and that's hard. And I believe that recognizing for all of us at some point in our lives it's going to be hard that, that we got to get ourselves out of the way and what we want out of the way and try to have a passion for wanting what God wants by saying out loud the fact that yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult because we're human. It was hard for Saul. And we don't know whether he genuinely thought he was doing God a favor or whether it was all just selfishness, whether it was just weak leadership. We don't know exactly, but in the the moment of confrontation, it becomes very crucial. Nobody likes to be called out, and Saul gets called out because he would not listen and he would not obey. Today, how much trouble could be avoided if we could simply develop this passion within a passion within me and a passion within you for for hearing God's message and then I'm going to do everything within my power to embrace it not not just because it's the thing that has to be done but because in my heart I want to do what God wants me to do 
We might see more peace instead of church tension. We might see more unity instead of severed relationships. We might see more productivity instead of bad attitudes. We might see more healing instead of perpetually broken people. One of my preaching friends was in a mission congregation. They were growing, but they were not even self-supporting. And so he was a little bit older as a preacher and they needed leadership. So they'd actually ask him to serve as an elder. And it came to light that one of the prominent members in their congregation was living with a woman that he wasn't married to. And I mean, this is a money guy, and this is a struggling church. I mean, there's a lot at stake here. And, and so they, as leadership, they, they approach this guy, and they, they're asking him about, you know, you're, you're living with this lady, you're not married to her. And, and his, the man's first excuse was, well, we, we've got an agreement between us and God. We're, we're not going through the court. We're not going to sign the piece of paper. But we've decided in our eyes to be married, and God knows our hearts. And, and the elders were saying, well, that, they kind of pressed him on it. They continued the discussion. That, that, that's not going to work. And as they pressed the guy, finally, he, he, he kind of burst out, and, he, and, the, and the veneer dropped, and he said, I'm not going to go through it again. I'm not going to do it God's way. He'd been through a bad marriage. He'd broken up a marriage where a woman had taken a bunch of his money. And in the end, his, his response to the church was, I'm not going to do it again. See, we've got to be asking for, walking in what God calls the good way. In other words, I look at my life and if it doesn't line up with what God says is the way to live life, not defiantly saying, I'm not going to do it God's way, to, to, to humbly say, man, I'm human and it's hard, but somehow, some way, I'm just going to try to wrap my way of living around what God says God wants. We sing from time to time, trust and obey. And it's such a traditional invitation song. I'm afraid some songs we sing them so... I'm glad you're teaching us new songs because songs have this way of... We sing it without thinking about it sometimes. And I wonder when we sing Trust and Obey, is that just a song that we sing? Or do we truly allow that to have meaning in our lives? In other words, do I trust Him enough to actually obey Him? Because when I want my way more than His that at some levels got to point to a lack of trust. Let me leave you with Ephesians chapter 3. One of the reasons that we need to trust God, now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Your way my way. Now how much stronger can we be as a family if we simply all have a passion for living God's way? Today as Bradley leads us in the song that he selected, if you realize there's something amiss in your life, maybe you've been walking in your own way and you realize you've been walking in a way that isn't God's way and maybe you believe that it's something you need to make right publicly. You have that opportunity to do that today. Uh, maybe the issue in your life is one where you want to grab one of the shepherds after church and, and just ask one of them to pray with you and for you uh, for whatever it is that's going on in your life. That's what shepherds are for. Maybe you're here today, though, and you've not surrendered your life to God yet. Maybe you're not His child. Maybe you've not yet been baptized into Christ. Maybe you're ready to make that start, make that beginning 
today. If you have a need, while Bradley leads us, let that be known while we stand and while we sing.